Hello, everyone, and welcome to Beats, Riot, and Types current episode number. This is uh, MRB, and I'm here with AQ and our very special guest, Andrew Duran, better known as NF on the internet. Uh, we are listening to a song called Tripping the Light Fantastic by Tipper, and I told Andrew that I would ask him as soon as the show started why he chose that song. So I'm going to do that now. Why'd you choose that song, Andrew? <laughs> well, you guys said to take something that's like in my regular rotation, and I've been listening to all of Tipper's stuff a lot lately. Yeah, he's just an amazing, amazing producer. I really enjoy all the attention to detail. Uh, really appeals to me. And, you know, he's not one of those, you know, uh, like IDM producers, you know, in air quotes, that, that is just purely intellectual. I feel like he has a real, he always gets a solid groove going. So it's good to work to. It's good to just kind of kick back and listen to on its own. It's very me. People who know me, they would, they would not be at all surprised that I would choose this song. <laughs> Well, and I know that you are a, a, a hobbyist electronic music producer yourself, so it, it's interesting to hear like when people make a certain genre of music on on the side as a hobby, and that kind of ends up influencing uh, what they listen to, or oh, those yeah. two things influence each other in interesting ways. So it's I always it, it's cool to hear people's choices, especially when I know that they like spend time making music themselves, because attention to detail and such is something that I know that I like a lot in that kind of music, also. Yeah, I mean, production quality is really important for me. I get a lot, I get a big kick out of listening to well-produced stuff. And that includes like pop music, actually. Like when I hear, you know, some particularly well-done pop tune that just clicks. You know, when, when Timberland stuff was just everywhere all the time, that was a very satisfying period of pop for me because it was just... <laughs> oh, yeah. That's when my wife and I like uh, started dating. Like a, that was a couple years into when we started dating. So all of that whole period of music is very, very near and dear to us. It's your entire romance, right there. Did you know, Andrew? Did you know that Aaron was a hip hop producer in what, his past? What really? That's cool. Yeah, in New York, we we talked about it a little bit when we talked about hip hop, but not didn't go too deep into it. But yeah, it was something I did a lot of and really enjoyed. So did you have an NPC? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was, you know, obviously spending 99% of my time on a computer. I did all the stuff through a computer, but, yeah. um, you know, found that followed the evolution of music production software, too, and that whole, you know, journey of going from, like, literally, you know, you couldn't run any of this stuff on a PC because it would just, it would, it, you didn't have enough CPU power to record more than a single track at a single time to like Pro Tools and Live now, which are just amazing, and what, what, what's capable in real time. It's amazing how the machines just don't even break a sweat anymore, like, at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, like, I, I wrote this toy, like, audio synthesizer that's not optimized at all, but it can do all this stuff, and it barely uses any CPU. So it's, like, machines are fast now. Only Google Hangouts makes my computer's fan turn on. <laughs> so, we had been talking about having you on the show for a while, but when uh, we kind of talked on Twitter really briefly about what ideas, and one of the ideas that came up was uh, fatherhood. And all, all three of us, I guess, are fathers, and, you know, it's something that's very important, I think, in all of our lives. How old, how old is, is, are your kids, Andrew? Or I, kid? I've just got a daughter um, who's 13 about to turn 14. What's it like having a teenager? <laughs> I, it's everything that people say it is. Like at this point, they're basically like a little adult, but with like poor impulse control and not the sort of 
the safeguards that adults have to not do obnoxious stuff. I mean, not all adults <laughs> have those safeguards either, but it's just... Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's great, though, because I think the older your kids get, the more, the more real your conversations with them become, the deeper they become. You know? And we have, a lot of, we have a lot of shared interests. And she's actually... Actually, sorry, the most interesting thing is she has her own interests. And you know when you're a parent, like, there's a time when you know everything that they know, like their knowledge is a, to is a strict subset of your knowledge. Whereas now, like, she has a keen interest in history and she's like my, re my resource. Like when I am wondering something, I'm like, so what, where was William the Conqueror? What was that about? And she'll just have like the whole story and some little entertaining bit of trivia about it as well. And, you know, so it's cool, it's cool seeing seeing their intellect develop and their character develop in a way that, you know, is not about you anymore. It's not about what you've told them or anything. They're like a, a free agent. So that's, <laughs> that's what's cool about teenagers, I think. How old are your kids, the two of you? I just have one, my son Magnus, who's, he's just a year and a half now or a little over. He's 20, 20 months this week. Um, so he's, he's a baby still. Well, he's just, he just crossed the threshold from being a baby to being like a kid, a toddler. <laughs> and it's, it's a pretty crazy time in our household <laughs> because he's starting to assert himself in ways that he never did before. You experience that first bit of free agency when the kid starts like walking and moving on their own, right? It's like, you're like, oh man, I, I didn't even think about how miserable this is going to be. They can pretty much go wherever they want. They're just kind of scared to climb on things, but they can just kind of get up and move like you didn't realize how precious that time was before they could start moving. But also they have no, no idea of the dangers. Of the oh yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly, Straight up yeah. walk off a cliff like Bugs Bunny style, <laughs> Wiley Coyote, whatever. Uh, but I have a uh, I have a three year old son and a five year old daughter. Two two handsfuls uh, right there. But I'm just experiencing the first bits of that like uh, learning things from the outside world thing with my daughter because uh, she goes to school and she also has uh, you know babysitters sometimes that like will you know, talk to her about things and she'll start asking me questions about things. And you kind of over time, like when it first starts happening, you're like, where did you hear that? Like you think <laughs> that you, you still are kind of grasping onto that, like their knowledge is a strict subset thing. And so you think that like the potential sources are of a finite enough group that you might be able to like actually determine where they get information from. But I've kind of given up with that with my daughter because who knows? <laughs> Well, now you have to start. You have to start the propaganda process because now she's collecting all this faulty information from the outside. You need to, <laughs> you need to instill the the beliefs early, <laughs> so she turns out right. <laughs> oh man, she's just into making shit up at this point too, which is great. She's starting to te testing the boundaries between like you know what's real and what's not real and what's true and what's false or whatever. So she'll just be like, she'll walk up to you and just say like, I'm wearing a shirt, but she's like totally naked. <laughs> it's like, hey daddy, I'm wearing a shirt right now, and I'm like, what? Uh, sorry, are we playing pretend that you're wearing a shirt? Are you like just testing this out with me? What's going on with that? So that's been really, you know, when she says it about something that's like something potentially, she's like, 
I, she's like, I didn't, you know, squeeze all the toothpaste out of the toothpaste tube upstairs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we weren't really talking about that. So I'm assuming that you did do that and I need to go check and make sure that you didn't do that. (laughs) So... Did she do it? Uh, in that case, I don't recall. But in other <laughs> cases, she has used that exact thing. So I guess I do. <laughs> this is making me think that Andrew's right and I need to get on top of this propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's, what was your process for that, Andrew, of, of making your daughter cool? <laughs> Indoctrination? No. You know, one of the things that's kind of annoying is you find yourself lecturing your kids about stuff. They ask you a question and you're like, all right, here's everything I know about this. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and like, you kind of, you can tell about like, what, like 45 minutes in that they're not really listening anymore. But <laughs> no, I, I'm exaggerating. Let me get my whiteboard. <laughs> Let me sketch this out for you. Yeah, it's actually funny. Like, I remember a few distinct times where I was like totally psyched to introduce like certain concepts and stuff. And I would get a few minutes in and then be like, oh, she's just totally not receptive to this right now. And like, I, it's really deflating. It's like, oh, you don't want to know how to count in binary? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but she did. Actually, she did end up learning to count in binary. She just, she wasn't, it was when I tried to explain how you would write, how you would build digital circuits that count that she would lost interest. <laughs> I think she was like six or something. So, you know, <laughs> so. <laughs> You got to play it cool sometimes with that stuff. It's hard though. Yeah. So has she been programming? Is she... Um, you know, a bit. You know, for me it was actually hard because I sort of exposed her to programming. You know, there's, Scra- there's this thing called Scratch, um, which is from MIT. It's like a visual programming environment. I let her play with that. I also showed her like the Khan Academy um, intro to programming stuff, which she did and she enjoyed. But really like the programming side, it became like she would be interested in doing it, but only in as much as she wanted to be with me doing it. And so it was like a way of us hanging out, which is nice, but like it was hard for me to relate because for me as a kid, it was like, I started programming when I was like under five, I guess. Like the first book I ever read was like a, a, a ring bound IBM basic manual Right, I had that in my bed as a little kid. All I needed was a computer. I didn't want anyone else around or anything. And so it's difficult. it was difficult for me to kind of just be there telling her everything. What I was hoping is that she would be interested enough to just kind of want to be doing that like of her own sort of impetus. So, but you know, I just don't, I don't think programming is really her passion and I'm sort of more into encouraging her to to do what she's really passionate about instead of, you know, I don't want to railroad her into it being a programmer <laughs> or something. Be like a pageant dad except for programming, <laughs> making... Uh, All the programming competitions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, is in- it is interesting, though, because people do assume that, like, you, are, when you're, like, a programmer parent, that you're, like, into getting your kid to learn how to program. I don't know if I don't know if people in other professions really experience that. You know, like if you meet someone that's like an accountant or something, you're not like so teaching your teaching your kid those tax laws yet. You know, but it, it's funny. Like the thing that I'm the thing that I like try to be careful about is like just being. It's hard to like not be on the computer too much when the kids are around. 
They want to know what you're doing. I'm not almost never doing something like very interesting though. So it's not like I'm going to be like, Hey, check this out. Like, you know, if I took like 10 steps back from what I'm doing, it's pretty interesting, but it's tough to, uh, it's tough to know what the impact is on your kids of like them seeing you like use this computer all the time. I, I, I am curious about that. Cause that's definitely not like, that wasn't my experience. I didn't have my, you know, my parents, we had computers in the house early and stuff, but my parents didn't spend all their time in front of a computer at all. So I don't really know what kind of habits they'll learn from me by seeing that. Well, it's really, it's one thing that's weird is that, you know, during my kid's lifetime, the way people use computers and technology at home has changed. So like, you know, when she was born, there were no smartphones or the smartphones, you know, you wouldn't be browsing the internet or Twitter or something, you know, it was much more utilitarian and so, you know, during the, that time, you know, there's, we've had to kind of, as a family, sort of figure out some protocols, you know, about like, when is it okay to be sitting there on your laptop or when is it okay to pull out your phone and stuff? And generally when I'm at home, I try and just leave my phone my, on my desk or something, not sort of being in that sort of internet headspace all the time, which I, you know, I, but now like my daughter is citizen of the internet, you know, she talks in in memes which is uh, <laughs> and i'm all just like oh come on that's so like 18 months ago yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so is she can you diss her because she's like you know she's like you're, you're you're like listen you know you're cool but i'm at least i'm at least two meme years ahead of you and there's nothing you're really gonna be able to do about that i'm literally at the forefront of memes if you want to know what the new memes are, you should ask me. No, I, mean. I think one of the earliest ones was like quite a while ago. She came home and she said she used the word pwned. Like, <laughs> and, and I was like, where did you get that? And she's like, oh, the, the, the boys at school say it. And I'm like, wow. I said, first of all, it's owned. Okay, you don't pronounce the P. Yeah, it was a little bit, it was a little bit of a weird, sort of somewhat distressing moment where I was like, oh my God, the internet is like bleeding into, into my life here in a way that I hadn't anticipated at all. And now it's really, it's just like, when she does reference things, I like to kind of give her the backstory on where that meme came from, like the, the origin story. <laughs> I definitely find it distressing when the internet like leaks into my actual outside of the internet life. It's definitely troubling. Yeah, if my if someone if some other member of my family like mentions something to me like well cuz like you know like tech stuff is big enough now that it like makes it to like gossip blogs like uh, like regular gossip blogs will like have stuff about like fucking startups and shit. It's so bizarre. You know, and like my wife or like my uh, someone at, at, you know, my kid's school or like my mom or dad will like ask me some like random question about whether or not the CEO of Uber is really a psychopath or something like that. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, what the fuck kind of question is that? Like what? I mean, like I can actually can, I guess, discuss in pure hearsay what I've heard about that particular fact, but like. Why is this becoming like a thing that other people are interested in? It's very strange to me. Well, I mean, it makes total sense, though. I mean, everyone 
is just using the internet all the time. It's like the, you know, the, the eternal September is, has reached like singularity proportions, right? Everyone is on the internet now. It used to be, it used to be this place for a particular kind of person and now it's really for everyone. I, I, I like that. I like it and I hate how much it is part of my life as well, which is ironic when you consider what I do, but it, it kills me. It really does. There's that balance of like trying to also just project, you know, what what my son Magnus, like what, like 15 years from now when he's a teenager, like what the internet is going to be like and what disturbing reality of like having ads projected into your brain or whatever is going to come out of that. Like that's obviously like the worst version of it, but yeah, it's hard to live the kind of... I guess, contradiction that we're trying to tell our kids not to spend too much time on a computer or not do that when, like, literally most of our day is spent looking at a computer screen and uh, we can we can lie we can lie to ourselves and be like, oh, but we're creating things and doing things. But, you know, 99 percent of our time, we're probably just on Twitter <laughs> bullshitting anyway. Or like arguing with someone on a news site about a language feature that they don't understand. <laughs> uh, no, that's not that's not fair. But yeah, <laughs> it gets... actually, so it's, it's, I don't know if this is related to the subject at hand. But basically, what's been getting me down a little bit is in my personal life. Like I'm very selective about like the people that I hang out with, like in person. And I always have been. I've always been kind of on the periphery of social groups and stuff because I don't just like everyone. You know, I'm not, I'm not that kind of guy that's really gregarious and wants to, like, be everyone's friend. I just kind of like to have a few really good friends. But be because of the internet and, like, my interests and my work and everything, I'm put in contact with, like, everyone. It's not that I don't like people. It's just that there are definitely some people who online they just behave in a way that is totally unacceptable like in my opinion like if i knew someone that conducted conversations in this way in person i would just go to every effort to never see them ever <laughs> and but now it's like the internet puts all of those people just a tweet away from from <laughs> you um and i i really enjoy like being a being out in the public and and the the great people that you meet far outweigh this so like i wouldn't know either of you if it wasn't for the kind of work that i'm doing and everything so you know there's a, the the benefits far outweigh the negatives but it's still it's tough going you know when and particularly you want to you know if someone you believe is wrong is saying obnoxious things to you 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 want to simultaneously somehow convince them to stop being obnoxious and also sort of convince them of your position. And I don't know if either is possible, so. It's interesting because we were, one of the other things we were thinking about when we were thinking about fatherhood is, yeah, that you, if not one of the fathers, definitely one of the wacky uncles of the Go programming language. You know, it just turned five, right? Wasn't the, this? Yeah, yeah, in, Feb in uh, November. You know, obviously it's, you know, I'm, I'm sure from the previous bit that you're, Definitely, there are some pains, uh, growing pains, and dealing with a growing user base and all of that. But how has uh, fatherhood of a of a really interesting and useful programming language been? It's oh, it's been great. It's been an amazing, rewarding experience. And like I said, you know, I think I think that I guess the haters you might call them are really 
they're just a vocal minority, right? There's there's people who just they just want to interact in that way. And if you if you look at the psychology behind it, you can see why it is, right? You can you can understand. And so I try and keep that in mind. It doesn't doesn't always help. But in in general, like it's been a huge period of learning for me more than anything. You know, they say the best way to know something is to teach it to someone. And this last five years, all it is, it's been about me really learning new things and solidifying my understanding of other things so I can teach uh, other people about that stuff. And honestly, I can't imagine a more rewarding job in in this industry. Like, I, I feel like I've really been able to do something that's that's good, you know, that's, that's actually objectively uh, worthwhile. It's not just writing some system for a bank or something or you know i've done a lot of stuff previously which you know like web development work and other systems engineering work and it's been like intellectually interesting at times but never never i've never it's never been like a culturally interesting thing or a socially interesting thing it's been a a, a wild ride and it's been great watching people really get what we're about and what we're trying to do and working with, you know, like Rob and the rest of the team has been a, a great, like just a great experience. They're such a great group of people in both senses of the word. You know, they're, they're really, they're fun to, to be around, but also that absolutely, you know, at the top of their game doing really interesting work with a lot of great insights that um, I think they, they, they occupy an interesting niche in the, in the programming world. And so I'm glad to be sort of exporting a bunch of their their wisdom from sort of so sort of soaking it up, synthesizing it, putting it out there for other people to to experience. So yeah, I think your characterization of me as a as a wacky uncle is actually pretty good. Like when you initially <laughs> said fatherhood of the language, I was I was thinking, yeah, and I'm not really a father. I'm more of like an enthusiastic family member, <laughs> extended yeah, <exactly>. family member. <laughs> it, I mean, you're you're in a very special position where not only are you kind of an open source maintainer but you're basically being paid to be an open source maintainer yeah. and it's your job. And there's, it's not like, you know, I've, you know, maintained a number of open source projects in my lifetime, but eventually I abandon them when the hate gets too loud or when I just get fed up with the community or whatever it is. But you, it, it's a little, I think a little harder for you in that you, yeah. uh, you don't really have a choice. When a discussion like flares up that's really has a really negative tone, you know, that really kind of a bunch of people are trying to prove how smart they are about this particular topic. It's tough to jump in there and just try and be a bit reasonable. And um, I actually took six weeks off recently, which was great. And in the lead up to that holiday, I was like, I could feel myself just losing any shred of patience I had left. Like I would... I would reply to someone on a mailing list or something and I'd be like, whoa, that was, I really need a holiday. (laughs) (laughs) I I was thinking about this too, like there's this interesting, interesting observation, which is that in your position as kind of a maintainer and uh, part of the family that's trying to represent this programming language and push it forward, you know, you guys have very strong opinions, which is completely within your right about how to raise that language and how to, you know, turn it into something more mature and forward thinking and all the get all the features that you think are important into it, into it. And with uh, parenthood, it's kind of interesting because what I've experienced too is that it's really easy to be really opinionated about 
parenting, but it's almost kind of an opposite thing. People have their own very strong opinions about how to raise their children, and sometimes it can get a little awkward because if you don't necessarily agree with someone else's parenting style or different approaches, it's almost like you can't you can't talk about it. Whereas with uh, being a an op- the open source maintainer, you know, maybe maybe this is total bullshit, but um, you have to you have to be strongly opinionated, and everyone has to kind of just listen to what you say because I feel like that's one of the, that's actually one of the things I really like about the Go stewardship and community is that there is a strong opinion and it feels like there's a force behind it as opposed to like we're just going to take any idea that anyone throws out and incorporate it into the language. That's actually an amazing analogy. I'd never really thought about it that way because it is. There is so much of that, like, as a parent, you know, and, you know, you'll both experience it more in different ways, says, says old man Durand. Um, <laughs> you know, for instance, I was on a, a flight recently, uh, like a long-haul flight, and there was a kid sitting behind us whose parents were just idiots, man. Like, they just, the kid got whatever he wanted, and when he didn't, he would just scream and cry. And he spent basically, like, six hours of this, like, 10-hour flight like fake crying or like you know the kind of crying that a kid does when uh, you know not getting their own way you 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 look at that and you just go you guys just are the worst parents like you just have no idea what's going on and so it makes me think like that's really what a lot of people in the programming community like think about us they they look at us and they go (laughs) oh you're using comments as instructions to the tool chain you know, you're a bad parent, basically. And it's like, it actually makes sense. Like, It's a matter of perspective, right? It's always puzzled me why people get so upset. Like, people are so vehement about stuff in programming. And if you think about it like that, like, I do get upset when I see other parents, like, screwing up their kids, right? Like, not setting boundaries or, you know, just feeding them ice cream for breakfast or you know, whatever. <laughs> and then I think like, well, if people see us like on go doing things and they think what we're doing is wrong. And so it, 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 this, I've kind of, this is kind of an epiphany for me, actually. I think it will, I, th- think, I actually think it will legitimately help me understand the, the, the people, those people in the community better. That's, that's great. I mean, like Mike said, it's definitely about perspective. It's, you know, when you're a parent or whatever, a maintainer, whatever it is, you know all the things that led up to the decision that you're making in the very moment, you know, and you know you have that entire history to call upon that, you know, maybe that kid in the plane was whining and fake crying, but maybe maybe he's actually an asshole most of the time. And, you know, <laughs> the, parents, the parents have a right to, to ignore him or do whatever, you know? Like, it's so hard to understand those relationships when you only have such a small window on it Absolutely. i mean not that i don't get judgy too i mean i think that's that's everyone's everyone who's a parent gets judgy about other parents i think that's part of being a parent there's no way to spell out that history in no time you know like yeah you can't have it I don't want to give the impression that I go around like judging other parents. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's like I act- said. It's it's definitely a it's a it's too a thing too late. You does. already gave you already gave that impression. So <laughs> it's nothing. It's nothing you can do about it. No, no, but they, it's it's actually interesting because I you know generally like me and my partner we give we give like other parents the benefit of the doubt a lot 
and I think that's that's something that is quite lacking in the programming world is people seeing something that looks wrong to them and then not thinking like, hey, you know, why is that? Instead of instead of just jumping to let me explain why this is wrong, they're not thinking, let me find out why this is the way it is. Something that happens a lot with technology stuff and particularly I think something that's happened with Go is that it was something that was created at a very specific like place and time, like I in my impressions for a very specific set of reasons. I think it has probably, I mean, I don't know what the initial plans were, but it seems like it's definitely gotten a lot bigger probably than people initially imagined it would, although I really don't know what the initial plans were in terms of like if it was supposed to grow much beyond Google or not. But it's like, it is... I think what I'm trying to say is that it is sort of a it is sort of a specific time and place that originally bred a lot of the attitudes uh, and ideas that have gone into the language, and they're not. And when people should be giving it the benefit of the doubt and saying, "Okay, like what is the paradigm here? Like what 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 kinds of programs should I be writing with this language?" They are trying to project. Uh, their own, you know, desires for something else and comparing it against that. And that's just not a very constructive sort of approach to take. Yeah. I mean, that, that definitely makes sense. I think you could say that about a lot of languages, except perhaps like a language like Java, which was explicitly designed to be everything f for everyone kind of thing, or, or C++ or, you know. But if you look at pretty much any of the smaller languages or the newer languages, they all have their own niches and ethos. And maybe part of the problem with Go is it looks so similar to what people know. Like from on the surface, it seems like something you're, you already know. And so you have these expectations and then it's not quite the way you expected it to be. So there's some, some cognitive dissonance there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely think that most people that like are most most uh, so-called haters on the language are definitely people that have not like given it a chance at all or even ever really tried to use it. Like, and I think part of the joy of the language definitely comes through using it and getting to know it. And like all of those pieces sort of definitely come together a lot easier if you actually put the effort in to do that. Uh, I, but also, on the other hand, I think you're totally right. I think that... Uh, the same can pretty much be said for most mainstream programming languages. I mean, one one somewhat compelling difference is that when things come from companies, as much or as as little as that actually influences the design and creation of the language, that's like a thing that it's a kind of an easy thing for people to point to. I don't think it definitely. I don't think obviously. I don't think it like excuses people from actually understanding something before they judge it. But it's like a thing that people are like, oh well, I don't know. There's just something about how you know where it came from makes me want to like talk more shit about it. Oh yeah, and you know Google's this behemoth, right? It's a it's a massive company. It's hugely wealthy. It has massive impact on the world. So it's totally understandable that people want to check it, you know, to kind of call Google out when it's when they feel like it's doing something questionable or wrong or whatever. And so they should, I think. And I think I think you're right, like I think definitely some of the haters like don't really know Go or use it or understand it. But I think there are definitely some people who 
have used Go and it's just not for them? Why do they have to keep telling everybody that it's not for them? You know, I, I genuinely think that it can be used for, for, all, for like, you know, 90, 95% of, of programming tasks. I think it's totally, totally great for. There are some cases where maybe the, the library support isn't there, although that's, that's really improved a lot. Or maybe there are subtle performance issues, like the new garbage collector that's coming out, that's gonna be, it's gonna greatly reduce garbage collection latency, or GC-related latency. So any sort of low latency applications or sort of mid to low will suddenly become much more viable in Go. And I don't know, I, th I, th I feel like it's just one of those things, the longer the language is around, the more things it's gonna be used for, and that's, that can only be a good thing. What are the details around the GC change specifically? I'm curious about that. The, the, the original GC was a very simple, um, a very simple algorithm. It was just a, a mark and sweep, stop the world collector. So, uh, you know, when you allocated twice as much memory as you used to have, a GC would be triggered, the program's paused, the whole market sweep thing happens. And we actually optimized the shit out of that. It really got quite fast. It was pretty much the fastest of that kind of collector that anyone's probably bothered to write. But then we, we sort of put together a team um, led by Russ Cox in Cambridge to, to sort of write a new GC. And this, is always, this had always been the plan, that there would be a concurrent collector for Go. Um, because it's, you know, it's, it's a language that's designed for writing concurrent programs. And so you, you, you really don't want to have these garbage collection pauses. And you know, the, the, the larger the heap, the longer the pause and sometimes, you know, if you had a really big program, you would have like seconds of pauses, and that's that's just not okay. Uh, Rick Hudson, who's a, a quite an old hand at this stuff, um, his name's all over the literature for garbage collection. He's been he sort of led the design of the new collector, which does as much as possible, like alongside the execution of the program, and then it limits the pauses for collection to some upper bound of like 10 milliseconds or something. Um, that's the design anyway. And I think it's working out great in practice. I think it's actually ended up being more efficient than they thought. I'd like to, I'd like to talk more about the details probably later in the year as we head towards the Go 1.5 release. And also once I understand them better because you know I understand like the high level, but there's a, a lot of interesting work going on. And it's kind of coincided with, we, we ported the whole tool chain from C to Go. Um, so now the Go compiler is, is self-hosting. Interesting thing that happened is the C program, when converted, like we literally translated it with a program. So when it was converted to Go, it was much slower. And it's basically because the, the C code does not become fast Go code. So the Go compiler is actually slower than it was before. But then we have this like improved runtime, so it's kind of faster in that sense. Yeah, so we're sort of playing this game where, you know, we've sort of made some losses in one area, but then we're, we're making gains in other areas. And we're just sort of now working towards having it be like at least a net zero or a small net positive. Well, once you start like going, you're not, I mean, I, one next step would potentially be just to like start going crazy and hand optimizing the compilers part oh, of it. Yeah. Is, is, that, is that your approach or? The goal is for 1.5 to have this concurrent collector and self-hosted Go compiler that is about as fast as the old one, right? And have user programs run better than they did before. And I think that's all, 
achievable, but then the, the future for the compiler code base is turning it into a nice Go program. Because like right now it's a very C-like Go program. And you know, nice Go programs look very, very different to C programs at, at all levels, right? Organizationally, even down to you know, individual lines of code, it all looks very different. So I think there'll be a big cleanup effort. A lot of the community, uh, the contributing community will get involved in doing that. We also have some cool tools being worked on to make that easier, like a tool to take some type or function and then like extract all of the code related to that and put it in its own package, stuff like that. It's an exciting time and it's, it's, it's a process that I've been a bit detached from, which I feel a bit sad about, but it's, de it's definitely in better hands, right, than if I was, than <laughs> if I was on the front lines doing that. We have a, a great group of contributors working on this stuff, so it's, it's a really, it's, it's a fantastic project, like from a technical perspective. I think it's, if you're, a, if you're one of those curious programmers who likes reading change lists and code reviews and commits and stuff, it's definitely, the Go core is an exciting place to be looking at right now. Oh yeah, I've always admired it. So how, how localized are the changes that go into like the changing the GC? Is that, is that relatively pervasive or is that, is it pretty modular at this point? It really depends on the change. Some of them are very wide sweeping. Some of them are, are very focused. It, it just depends like what part of it. So there's been major overhauls to the way the various pieces of the, of the tool chain interact. So, you know, the compiler and the linker and stuff, like we moved a big section out of the linker into the compiler at some point last year. And so that's a kind of change that's just massive and touches everything. And then there are things like just changing the way registerization works, which will just be, you know, it's a significant change, but it only really affects one very focused part of the, of the whole thing. But yeah, like I said, I should, really, I should really read more of the commits. I just find myself very, very time poor these days. Trying to write more, that's, that's the main thing. Speaking of fatherhood, I feel like I've been neglecting my, my first, firstborn child of the project, which is the Go blog. You know, if you look at like a histogram of like when I, when I was publishing posts, there was a bunch of them in 2010, 2011, drop off 2012. I think I powered in and wrote a bunch in 2013. And then, so I really, I really wanna just like do more sort of medium form writing and just get a bunch of ideas out into the world. So that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to focus on these days. Not, not doing a great job, but the first thing I did when I got <laughs> back from vacation was not read my email and write a blog post. And then I dealt with the four and a half thousand conversations in my inbox. <laughs> well, we should probably let you, this time poor person, go and <laughs> deal with their day. Obviously, your day is just starting while our, our day is ending. Well, thanks so much for thanks so much for coming on. We really really enjoyed chatting. Yeah, no, it's it's always great to chat to you guys. Awesome, thanks, Andrew. All right, thank you. Thanks.